I've reached episode 50. After I did episode one, I think I mentioned, will I get a second episode? Well, we have, and I hope to be back here doing 50 more. And here's what you can do to help support the podcast. We want to thank Anchor. They're the host. You can hear this through any podcast that you listen to, the hosting site. iTunes is the big one. I look at the numbers. 95% of you listen on uh, iTunes, and I think 90% listen through the iPhone. But iTunes, Spotify, Google, and there is a, a ton of different venues and different ways you can listen to the podcast. Also, now you can watch my interviews. So coming up here in just a few minutes, Robbie Scott's going to join me, former Boston Red Sox pitcher. You can watch that on my YouTube page. Just search Mike Antonellis. But I want you to please like, share, subscribe. Really pour it on with the comments, even if you lie. It's fine. Just just go overboard. See, I'm being honest with you. Just, just lie. Say how much you love me. Follow me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and it's pretty easy to find. Uh, Twitter, at the Radio Mike as well, and uh, behind the mic on Twitter is uh, another social media vehicle. I'm starting to do some daily fantasy videos. I bought a green screen this week. I'm starting to really uh, perfect my home studio, having a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with this. Back in 2014, Robbie Scott was with the Portland Sea Ducks, the team I was doing play-by-play for. And Robbie and I, we just some people just mesh, and we got along. And I would talk to Robbie a lot around uh, the the batting cage. He would hit fungos, and for those who know know what fungos are, fungo is a different type of bat that allows coaches and, and pitchers to hit ground balls. So during batting practice, a lot of pitchers and coaches are hitting ground balls to the fielders while the, the hitters hit. And Robbie and I just always hit it off. Uh, I respect the hell out of him. He was non-drafted, went to Florida State, ends up in Indy Ball, uh, pitching for a team managed by Jose Canseco. I mean, his path to get to the big leagues was not easy. He had parts of three seasons with the Red Sox, including a great 2017 campaign with Boston, has a World Series ring, went to the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2011. Mike Hazen uh, was a guy who found him. Mike was once, of course, uh, with the Red Sox. And then it's a tough gig. He was out of a job. He ends up pitching in indie ball this past year, but he also had a son named Brody. He's got a wife who is a social media influencer big time. It's got over 20,000 followers on Instagram, uh, Millennial Miss, and she does some great things uh, talking about reality TV. I love Robbie. I really do. And this conversation was excellent. I know you're going to love it. Here we go. How's it going? Good, man. Yeah? Yeah. Just crazy times. Crazy times. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It was, uh, I I mean, going through everything with the baby and I'm not having a job and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was a blessing in disguise because I was <clears throat> able to be here and be home for it all. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. it's crazy, man. It's it's crazy what a kid will do to you and how quickly your life changes real quick. Yeah. Blink of an eye. I saw that they did a st- – uh, that, that, when you did that drive-by baby shower, that was a big story in Miami. Yeah, they <laughs> – it's actually kind of funny because we um, – I was – I had gotten home. I went on a golfing trip um, up to because all the golf courses down here at home were closed. And my brother, my brother and I drove up to Tampa where my uncle lives, and we went up and uh, played golf for a few days. And I got home, and I didn't even set up the baby shower. It was all of her girlfriends, and I was just told to be there. 
Uh, so I was sitting on the couch the night before, and I was like, let me let me email Channel 7 and see if they got anything going on. Oh, wow. So I emailed Channel 7, and they responded right away. And the thing that was funny about it was the lady – the girl that was in charge of it was a really good childhood friend growing up. So she jumped on it. She was like, Oh my God, this is great. We'll definitely have somebody out there. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just say, hey, yeah, we'll just so keep this. Uh, we'll just keep this as part of the interview. Huh? Yeah. Whatever you, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's up to you. Yeah. We'll just roll right into it. So, you, so Bro- Brody's the, is the baby. I love that. I've seen yeah, a bunch Brody. Of Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's doing awesome. He's getting big. It's crazy to see how much he's grown. I mean, in the first two months, let alone in the last two months after that, now four and a half months old. Yep. It's crazy to see, and it's just it's a it's pretty special to see him grow up in the short time that we've had him already. But um, you know, just seeing the way my wife is now a mom, and yeah, <clears throat> and seeing how she's just it's just a special thing that you don't really plan for, and you don't really know how to react until it, it, the time is and the time comes. <laughs> You made a great point because this first year of Brody, you, you can never get back, obviously. So, yeah, we don't like what's going on, but in a way, you have to be happy, right? Like you said, you get to spend the time with them. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it was definitely a, a tough off season before everything got shut down, just not having a job and everybody being at spring training yeah. um, and me being home, still working out and all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> Chelsea and I talked about it a lot was, you know, and then once stuff did get started and you know, shut down and everybody was sent home and then everybody was back home for a long time. And just the way, you know, how quickly everything transpired with the birth of Brody, there's no way that I was – it doesn't matter if I was playing in the Florida State League in Florida, you know, it didn't – there's no way I was getting home, how quickly it all went down. Yeah. Um, so – and just being around through the last few months of her pregnancy was obviously definitely – you know, a big help on her part, especially with her being, this being our first kid and our first pregnancy, uh, there was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of, you know, uncertainty when things <clears throat> were happening and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was cool to be around and, and making sure that I was here and something that I will, you know, never take for granted is being there. Because if I was away and I wasn't there now that I was actually being able to be there for the birth of it, it's uh, it, I don't know what I would have done if I wasn't there. Yeah. <clears throat> so Good point. it's uh, and it's crazy to, to think about um, for the rest of the baseball players out there. I mean, especially all, all the babies that are born in the middle of the season mm. I and mean, it's, it's so hard and only having those three days that the organization gives you to take off. If I had to leave after three days, I would have been torn to pieces. I would have been like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, how, how am I supposed to go? right away like that yeah um so it, it gave me a, a much bigger perspective on life and and how these guys go about their daily lives without their families there um because i was able to stay at home and be at home with them so it, it, i gained a lot of respect for those guys that do actually have to leave i think the pandemic can can do this if we can look at it in a positive that i know i've seen perspective in a lot of things being being off this summer i mean i haven't been off 20 plus years being with family more i mean gets us back to what's really important doesn't it oh of course i mean just i mean with with our own families and just when everything was shut down and quarantined and just being we kind of 
took our own little bubble you could per se and say you know like this is what we're going to do this is how we want to go about doing it especially early on chelsea was late in her pregnancy because and so we were taking very very extreme precautions with everything because of the uncertainty of the virus and all that kind of stuff so um but it, it, i think you're definitely the point that you made is very accurate very true is you know just being being home like for the simplest things like it was just the first birthday I've ever spent at home since yeah. I was in high school like I yeah. haven't been home for my birthday since I was in high school so just and little things like being home for the I, well, actually I wasn't really home for the fourth of July but <clears throat> you know being around and and seeing things that I've never been around for at, the, at that time of the year yeah. um, and being with family and, and spending quality time with family or my in-laws, Chelsea's parents, they live a mile and a half away from our house. So, you know, I, I was running over to their house pretty much every day, working out at their house and just kind of doing everything that we can to stay positive and turn at a time where there wasn't much really to be positive about. Yeah. And I know in Florida, it was kind of crazy too, right? With everything down there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, kind of quiet for a while and then it just kind of skyrocketed real quick hmm. and then uh and then things calmed down for a while and and now it's just you know i mean you know how i mean it doesn't every day every time you turn on the tv it's like something different it's like yeah all right how much <laughs> i mean we get it it's a real thing it's out there but you know can we talk yeah. maybe a little about something else um so it is what it is, and it, it, it and you know, it's one of those things that you, you definitely can't take it for granted. I mean, it, it's, it's a real thing, and you got to take every precaution and be safe and wear your mask and all that kind of stuff, and however you want to go about doing it. But I mean, there's doctors and nurses that are out there that are telling you what the right way to do it and the wrong way. So I mean, that's what they get paid to do. Why wouldn't we listen to those guys? Yeah, I don't. That's the one thing I just don't get during this. I, I mean, they, they, you know this. You've you've been around doctors and trainers. They those guys don't have agendas. I mean, maybe some no. do, but in the medical world, if you if you say something or wrong, I mean, that's that lasts, especially nowadays. Oh yeah. So uh -huh. they're not going to tell you something, and then have it be all yeah, over Twitter. They, right? they don't. Yeah, they don't want to be misspoken for it, especially at this time, you know, this day and age, like you said, it's not going to be all over Twitter in a matter of seconds. So they're taking, you know, every piece of information and dissecting it, I'm sure, to the 10th degree of what they possibly can do. So, it, you know, we could talk about that, all that kind of stuff for, yeah. <laughs> for, for hours and, and weeks and months and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk baseball. So you were in Sugarland. They, they formed, what, four teams? I mean, go figure the independent league figured a way to do it. What was that like playing during the pandemic? It was, it was actually pretty cool. Um, it, it was a situation where um, they branched off from the Atlantic League um, and they organized this four-team league uh, with four different managers that were all um, from the surrounding area but very big, well-known names. Uh, Pete Incaviglia was our manager with the team that I was on. Um, Roger Clemens' son, uh, Kobe, was uh, the manager of the Team Texas team <clears throat> with Roger helping him out and, and being around. And then 
Uh, Greg Swindell was the team for the the Skeeters, and then um, why am I drawing like oh Dave Eland uh, or Island was the manager for uh, the Rios del Tigres <laughs> team. So it, it was it was an interesting time, um, especially when we all got there. It was a sense of kind of like everybody's looking at each other, like how long do you think this thing's going to last before they get shut down? Yeah. And, and they basically told us that the, the city and the state gave us a clearance, but at, cause we were getting tested every week. We we're getting tested every Sunday that if at any given point, we certainly hit a certain amount of positive tests during that week or that for that week time period that we would get shut down. So, um, <clears throat> and the guys, took it upon themselves. I mean, listen, it was our only opportunity to get seen. We had, you know, four teams of probably, uh, I'd say probably half of the guys on, no, actually more than half, probably about 75% of the guys on each roster were free agents. And then there was a couple younger guys that were still affiliated that the organization allowed them to come out and play. And um, so it, we took it upon ourselves and, and to make sure that we were not doing anything stupid away from the field that was going to put this whole thing in, you know, in jeopardy. There's a lot of people that put a lot of hard work and time into getting this league up and off the ground and working and the ownership of Sugarland, you know, putting the money up to allow this thing to, to happen. So <clears throat> it, it was, it was pretty incredible to see the way, the guys were going about it. The training staff was absolutely incredible with how they were operating. The clubhouse staff, I mean, everything that was about it, it was not an independent ball league. It was a first-class organization doing something that they wanted to show people, and, and that's why also why we were allowed to have fans, just because they were socially distant in the stands and all that kind of stuff. They wanted to show that it was operable under the circumstances what we were dealing with. And we – we had a sprinkle of a, a few positive tests for the first few weeks. No, I don't think at any given week we had more than, I think, six or seven. Um, and then from, I think it was like the last six weeks of the season, it was completely negative, all negative tests. And it was pretty astounding, astounding to see those types of numbers based off of what everybody else was experiencing in other regions throughout the, throughout the country at that time it was kind of like, whoa, how are we doing this? Like, how do we not have at least one test popping up or yeah. <clears throat> something like that? But it, it was a lot of fun. It was, it, I, I got a chance to meet up with some former teammates um, in, or, in the Red Sox organization. And, uh, and so that was, that was a blast in itself. But, and just meeting, and you know how I am when I'm at the field, just being around guys and being around, you know, baseball-minded people, it was – it was a breath of fresh air, but at the same time, we all knew why we were there. It wasn't just to have a good time and, and be there. It was, it, you know, I'm here for a reason. I want to get out of here. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of fun. We, 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 we had a lot of fun doing it um, while we were there. And it was, it was definitely an experience that I won't forget yeah. just to be able to say that I was playing baseball during a pandemic because there's a lot of other guys that weren't, didn't have the opportunity to. I mean, they had numerous of guys that they were turning down because we just didn't have roster spots. I mean, they released guys from the league after the first couple of weeks just because 
they needed to cut back on roster spots. So to be able to have that opportunity in a time that we were in was pretty special. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great that they were able to do it. I spent one year with Pete Incavilia. He, he is something, isn't he? He, He's a madman. And, and, and what I was told by several players that have played for him in the past was this is a calm version of Pete. And I'm like, wow, all right. Yeah. But Pete, Pete, Pete is a type of individual and a type of coach that he lets you from day one know that he has your back as a player yeah. as long as you respect him and, and have his back. He's not going to go out of his way and bend backwards for somebody that knows that that he knows it's not going to do the same for for them for for him. So, Pete and I had a really you know special relationship while we were there. Um, we, we bonded you know very quickly, and it was one of those things where I mean I still talk to him you know two or three times a week, just yeah. checking in. He's terrific, and because and, and because he cares and and he realizes who should be an independent ball and who should not be an independent ball. And he's not afraid to tell you either way. He's, he's, I mean, I witnessed it. He's like, there's a reason why you're here and why you're always going to be here in independent ball. And I've also witnessed him call guys into the office and be like, dude, you don't belong here. And I'm trying to get you out of here. I just, I'm making every phone call I can make. And, yeah. and it just goes to show you that there's even in the independent world, just because you're in independent ball, there's still a lot of, um, you know, coaches and, and people that can be in your corner to help you get out of there as long as you allow it to be in, and allow the circumstances to, to help you yeah. rather than the alternative. Your career has been amazing. Where you started, <laughs> you know, how to Florida State, you, you, you played for Jose Canseco and that ended, we know that story. That's a great story. And then, yeah. you know, you got to the big leagues and then you with the Diamondbacks and then, but the, the circle of it is, it's pretty remarkable, Robbie. You ever, you sit back and yeah, look at it or do you not try to do that yet? I do. I do now, especially because I don't, I mean, I'll be busy. I mean, I'll be extremely blunt. I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity to play again. Yeah. I'm training and preparing for another season next year. Um, but I don't, I didn't, I wasn't planning on being in this position last off season of not getting a job, let alone having a pandemic teams, not knowing what kind of budget they're going to have when it comes to minor league free agents, whether there is going to be a minor league season or not. So a lot of different factors that are, you know, playing into the thought process and the mindset of what you're talking about is how do I, do I go back and sit back and, and reflect and, and think about, my career. I mean, yeah, I do it every day. I do it when I wake up every morning, when I go to bed every night, when I walk into Brody's room and one of my jerseys is hanging in his room and, and, and just seeing and, and little things that just remind you of it. Um, watching the World Series and seeing Mookie going out there and doing what he's doing and yeah. and reflecting back on a 2014 season in Portland, in double-A Portland or we the best team in baseball. I mean, it was the craziest thing in the world when you really think about it. And it was one of the funnest years I've ever had. Yep. And after playing parts of four years in the big leagues, would I, would somebody say you're crazy that one of the funnest years that you've ever had playing baseball was in double a rather than not being in the big leagues. And I was like, 
like that. I mean, double it Portland in 2014. And if you talk to anybody on the team would probably say the same thing. I mean, it was just, so there's different things that pop up throughout, um, you know, the course of a daily life that I'll reminisce on and, and think about. And when I get the, the funny text messages from Billy McMillan about FSU football stinking now and every Saturday I have to hear it from him. And all. I mean, so there's just, you know, constant, you know, you know, banter back and forth with guys and still keeping in contact with guys that I played with. So, of course, I always think about it. And yeah. I try to think about the good times and all that kind of stuff and, and help me. And it kind of allows me to push myself in terms of, all right, let's give this another go. I don't think we're ready to call this quits. Um, because there was a point in time where I was trying to figure out when I was in Sugarland, all right, listen, like if I'm not getting any, you know, calls or anything like that while I'm here, what do we, but also it was one of those things where I kind of went to Sugarland in terms of if I can get myself back to what I was, then I'll, think about, you know, preparing myself for next for next season and for the off season. And I was able to do that. I was actually very surprised with <clears throat> the limited preparation before us uh, before the season of Sugarland because I mean we got there 4 days before the season started. We didn't have a long spring training or anything wow. like that. We got there we threw live BP and we started games. So it was <clears throat> I mean we were thrown into the fire right off the bat. Um so uh, I was very surprised, very happy with the way that, you know, my body, you know, recovered and the way that my arm felt, the way I threw the ball. And it kind of gave me that, all right, let's give this a, let's give this a shot right? and we'll see what happens. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. And one thing can lead to the next and we'll see. I, hopefully I do. And yeah, maybe, you know, come back, your comeback player of the year or something. Next yeah. Year. I don't know. And being left-handed, I mean, we know that that's a huge, huge advantage. By the way, Billy will send me a text, whoever the Patriots are playing, and he'll go Raiders. <laughs> yeah, does the same thing to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's, that's one of the reasons why Billy McMillan is, will always be one of my favorite managers to ever play for yeah. because I mean, he's the same way as Pete. I mean, he's, yep. he'll tell you exactly how it is, and he doesn't care how that makes you feel. But at the same time, if you respect him and you play hard for him, he's going to respect you. Yeah. Whether you're a Florida State guy or a Clemson guy, it don't really matter. He's, I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that if you're willing to put it all on the line for him, he's going to put it all on the line for you. Yeah. I love that you talked about the 14 team because I see things with all of you guys from that team, and I have special moments. I think we have different connections to different people than, mm -hmm. than others. I mean, that was the birth of Mookie that year. And we, we oh, all, yeah. I think, have yeah. a special kind of bond with him because we know he's such a good guy. But mm -hmm. that was kind of when – and in you guys, I tell people this all the time. I've never seen players in awe of another player. But it was not normal what he was doing, right? No, absolutely not. And I think it was – I think that was started the coming out party of Mookie Betts. Yeah. Um, but it was – I was with them for that second half of 2013 when he came up from Greenville and we won the championship in 2013, uh, the Carolina League, 
when he came up. We won the second half, and we rolled through the playoffs. And I think that's when he really started gaining the traction of then. And then we went to double A that next year. And it was, I mean, from his first bat, first at bat, he hit a home. I think then he hit a homer off of uh, off of Jesse Biddle, his first at bat. Yep, three two. Start the two thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah. And to start his 2014 season, and it was just like, all right, when it. I mean, what else is this guy going to do to get out of here? Yeah. And then, and then shortly thereafter, he was playing center field, and then a week later, he was gone. Yeah. Once he went to the outfield, we kind of knew. Okay. Yeah, it's they're, from they're, big they're, leagues. It wasn't yeah, they're, it. No, they're they're trying to figure out how to get him to the big leagues. Yeah, and to see what he's doing in the outfield now, I mean, you got to think. God, I mean, he's only been playing the outfield, but how good of the second? I mean, he was a dang good second baseman as it was. Yep. So, to answer your, I mean, we all knew Mookie was going to be special. Did I think that Mookie was going to be this special on a consistently basis? of day in and day out going about his business and being the guy that he is in the locker room and all that kind of stuff. No, because you can't, I mean, you can't ask that about anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, I mean, this kid is, I mean, he's special. And it, one of those things that you did see it early on, but was it going to be this special? I mean, you can't, you can't even, yeah. not the best, not the best evaluator or scout could possibly say, they're the next, you know, Mookie Betts when they're sitting in the stands watching this guy, you know, watching kids play now. So but once he started playing, though, in May, some scouts were saying it was the best player they'd ever seen at that level. Uh, obviously, oh, yeah. you know, once he was in hitting 380, whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing with baseball and how, I, and how it's so funny is because they could say that. And then all of a sudden, if he got up to the big leagues and he was not very good or didn't pan out, then, it, you know, all these scouts are quoted as, oh, yeah, he's the best player we saw at this age. But then what happened when he got to the big leagues? It's just that's the game of baseball that we play yeah. and that everybody talks about. It's kind of like, all right, well, yeah, I mean, he was. But he also has done what he's done now, which, I mean, <laughs> that, that kid's going to be very good for a very, very long time. Yeah. But when I see even Mike Brenly in the bullpen catching, I it, it, everything or Matt Spring or that team for me too has a lot. Just because you guys were really nice guys too, I think that goes yeah. overlooked. It was a great team with amazing and and I not all great teams can be good in the clubhouse. I think a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. everyone says that bad teams have bad clubhouses. That's not true. I've seen it be. Mm-hmm. that way but you guys were great with each other it was a very special group though and mm-hmm. I had a friend tell me once that you could be in a situation like that and it never happened again and I don't know if I, you know that might be the only time because it was no for sure Robbie every every corner of that team and organization was just perfect no absolutely and and it's a credit from the top where, yeah. where it all started because yeah. um, looking back on it, if you really, really, really think about it, and you think about some of the characters that we've had, that we had in that locker room that yeah. season, I mean that as a front office standpoint, I've never been in the front office and and doing the jobs that they do of creating rosters when spring training ends and all that kind of stuff. But when they were making this roster, I can probably imagine they were like, Billy, these guys are going to be good, but you're going to, I mean, these guys are going to be animals. And that's exactly what we were. But 
once w when we got there, it was, I really feel like Billy did an incredible job that year of <clears throat> allowing us to show him that we can be who we are in the locker room. And then when the time comes, when we need to flip the switch of being professionals and being pros of what we are, he allowed that. And I think that is why it transpired to what we talk about now is like the greatest guy, group of guys that we've ever been around and the greatest team that we've ever been around and, yeah. and the most fun we had in a locker room or on a baseball field, because it starts with, with the way that Billy allowed us to be ourselves. And I think that's probably why he enjoyed it so much with two of it is that because he was able to just allow us to police it. And I know it's hard, especially at the minor league level is to allow the players to police the locker room and the, and the clubhouse and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, I think that's what he allowed us to do. I mean, Matt Spring was the mayor of Portland that year. I mean, he was, I mean, you, you went anywhere in Portland and it was like, Oh, you play with Matt Spring. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. And uh, so it's <clears throat> when you have guys and older guys in a, in a locker room full of younger prospects that were, that will, that were, that were sprinkled in there with, you know, the Brenleys, the Springs, um, the Derek Gibsons. Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, even to start that year, Travis Shaw was there. Yeah. Um, Marrero. Marrero. Um, but, you know, the, the older guys that we had on the team that, that have been around for a while to see and to make sure that, all right, we're having our fun, we're having our good, but make sure we're getting our work in. Like, yeah. And, and, that, was, and that was never an issue throughout the entire year and <clears throat> I mean it was pretty cool to see just the front office people coming into town coordinators and and just wanting to be in the locker room just because we were having that much fun like it was just it, it was fun to look back and see like, like oh wow I mean yeah I, I did see Epi a lot that year like why was he always in town and it's like because they enjoyed coming to watch us play and they enjoyed being around and that's pretty hard to do as you know on a grind of a minor league season especially being in portland the travel is not always that great yep you know driving and being pretty much the furthest away from a lot of things now it's completely different from what i heard they they take two buses everywhere and all that kind of stuff but hmm. we'll leave that for a different time yeah. yeah no i you're right i can remember matt spring saying that bp was whenever the game started i mean he uh -huh. had that thing where BP and I, started I, at 7.05. Yep. And you guys were mm -hmm. complete what you said. I, I would tell people they would win nine in a row. If they lost one game, they were – the bus was like they lost the World Series. So you guys were the other way too, though. I, that's what I remember. I remember sometimes where yeah. I was even surprised how quiet – and it's like, well, we're 50 games over 500. But, <laughs> yeah. but then I remember the games were just – teams had no chance – like I've never seen. Yeah, it was the. Have you ever seen anything like that with, with you? You know, usually in baseball scores are even, but there were weeks where no one no, had a chance. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean it was. It was looking back on, I mean, I, I don't know exactly when we actually did clinch our division for the playoffs, but it really sound like it made it feel like we clinched in the middle of June, and there was no first half winner, second half winner in that league. No. Like, 
it, it really felt that way that we were, we, we were kicking everybody's butt the entire, like for the first two and a half months of the season, it was just like, are we, are we this good? Like, there's yeah. no way. And then, it, and then it was a joke. It was like, all right, when's the front office going? Like, who are they taking from us? When's everybody going to start leaving? And, and it just never really happened until, unfortunately, at the very end of the season uh, when we lost a few guys because <clears throat> when the Red Sox called up a couple of guys from AAA and then a few guys went to AAA for their playoffs yeah. and that kind of thing. So, But it, it was yeah. – you're right, but it – but it all goes back to Billy allowing us to be who we are and allowing us to make sh- – and, I mean, there were certain points in times where, I mean, Billy put his foot down. He was like, all right, enough. Like, let's go. And we learned that very quickly and very early on was like, all right, I mean, he's going to not allow us to do whatever we want. Yeah. And – but I think that it was also allowing us to learn how to win and be respectable and win and, and learning at the professional level, dealing with losses the right way. Yeah. I love Billy. I mean, I get to spend time with him a little bit this year, social distance. I hope he gets a Red Sox job. That's where I keep, that's my, that's, I I want. that's an emotional pick, but so, so what we want all of our people that we love to do well. And I think he can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and one hundred percent. I mean, there's not um, there's not a doubt in my mind that Billy would be successful as the Red Sox manager. Honestly, I've been so kind of distant from baseball this year, other than just watching the playoffs, that I completely forgot the Red Sox didn't have a manager until <laughs> you just said that. Great, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I and I really didn't even think about it until you just said it, and. I mean, uh, listen, I think Billy McMillan is one of the greatest baseball minds that I've been around. Um, I think he's an incredible human being. Um, And most importantly, I think he, he has the respect in that organization from not only his peers and his coaches and other people in the front office, but he has the respect of the players that he's coached along the way. And he's gotten to know a lot of people in the organization for being around, not only for being around for so long, but as being a manager all the way pretty much through the system and also coordinating. I mean, he was a coordinate base running and outfield coordinator for, for a few years as well mixed in there. So, uh, and you threw me for a loop there. I didn't, I didn't yeah. even thought about that one. But I thought thinking about, about it, I mean, yeah. shoot, yeah. It, shoot it, makes, it makes complete sense. If they want to stay in-house, it makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I don't think I've ever asked you. I mean, you were – obviously people know and they can Google you and see that you pitch with the Red Sox. What, do you remember that first day? Did you go out onto the fields when you got called up? Well, you started on the yeah, road, right? I mean, you were in Oakland, right? Yeah, we were in Oakland. Yep. We were in Oakland. And, uh, and thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, at that time, I mean, Joe Kelly would never say that. Thankfully, he was in AAA at that time, but he was. Mm. And uh, and he got called up the same day. It was September 1st. The big uh, the Red Sox, big league team had the day off on the 1st. So we flew out to California. They told us after our game in Pawtucket on the 1st, and then we took the red eye the next morning, met the team in Oakland. 
And it was a good thing that I had Joe on the flight because, I mean, Joe and uh, Devin Marrero were on the flight with us or with me. It was just us three. I think it was just us three. I believe it was. And, um, and Devin had been up and down a couple of times that year. And just, but just having Joe there was, I guess, a sense of comfort, even though Joe being Joe is never a sense of comfort when you're around him because you don't know if he's <laughs> going to freak out on you or, um, or give you the sad puppy face. <laughs> um, so, but he, uh, I do remember when I got there and walking into the locker room, and of course, Pedroia was the first one in the locker room. Petey and I had played golf a few times at spring training. And I didn't know. I mean, I still don't know to this day if he knew beforehand if I was getting called up or whatnot. And, um, he had known a little bit about me just by playing golf with him and telling him a little bit about my you know, background of where I've come from and all that kind of stuff. And so when I walked in the locker room, he was like, hell yeah. He's like, sick. So, and he was like, I just want to let you know right off the bat, like, this isn't the big leagues. This is Oakland. Like, don't, don't think this is the big leagues. And I was like, I'll tell you what, man, this beats Buffalo, New York. I promise you. Yeah. That's where we, and that was where we were the night before. I think I got called up was we were in Buffalo and then came back home. And so, uh, I I remember getting to the field and getting settled in the locker room and and meeting with John and Carl and just kind of, getting my feet wet and going out for a throwing program that day for the first time and even and just shagging BP. And I was just like, I mean, I had to take a moment to really look around and be like, all right, I think, like, I think it's done. Like, I think I'm here. Like they can't go back on it now. Like I'm already in uniform. Yeah. And, uh, and so that first night I, I vaguely remember, I remember walking out, through the dugout because in Oakland the locker room you like you walk out from behind home plate and then you go through the dugout and the bullpens down the right field line and and I remember John saying to me he's like hey man just enjoy you know enjoy today we'll probably stay away from you and we'll probably we'll get you in there when the time is right either tomorrow or, or we'll see and I was like all right sounds good and the next thing you know we're up 16 to 2 in the seventh, eighth inning. And at the time, Buck, Clay Buckles was in the bullpen and he was like, he goes, I know John told you that you probably are down today, but I think you might be getting into this one. And sure yeah. sure enough, uh, you know, we get out of the eighth inning and the phone rings and Dana Levanji, our bullpen coach at the time, looks at me and he's like, you got it. And, I, and and luckily enough, when I got on the field, there was a lot of familiar faces. Um, Sandy was catching, so and Sandy had been in AAA a couple, a few times that year, up and down. Um, Marrero was playing short. Uh, Shaw was playing first. Who was playing second? Uh, I think Brock Holt was playing second, maybe. And then, of course, you had Jackie in the outfield. Uh, Ben Attendi, uh, Ben and Ben was out there. Yeah. Yeah, and was Mookie there? Was no. Bennett? Uh, yeah. I think Mookie was taken out by that point when we were yeah. up sixteen to two. I can't remember. Uh, and so maybe maybe Chris Young was out there. I don't, I'm not really sure, but there was just a lot of familiar faces, and so it allowed me to settle into 
what was my first big league appearance. And, um, and it was just, I still, to this day, I still pull up the video on YouTube of my first appearance just to watch it here and there. And That's just cool. to, I mean, cause it's cool. I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of those things that I'd ever, and the same people that you say, the scouts that say, this is the greatest guy that we've ever seen in this, at, at this age, probably were watching me on the same mound and be like, this, this kid probably has no chance of ever playing in the big leagues. And there's a lot of people that told me that to my face. And there's a lot of people that were probably right. Like, I mean, I had to do everything right over my, in my career along the path that I went down to get to that point. So to be able to go back and, and look at that video and watch the video from time to time, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty special to me and special yeah. for my family. It's, it's definitely, you know, this, it's not easy. The route you went, right. Not drafted. Mm-hmm. That's, that's tough. Uh, Rich Gedman was non-drafted and he, you know, he's even told me stories how he, you know, for, he went through a lot, but I feel like there's so much dismissal early with players in the minors now. Um, and I remember with Devers, they were saying, well, he's not defensively. He's not great yet. Well, of course not. Are we, I feel like 14, we're too, he's 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. We're a little too judgy now. We want guys to just kind of follow this path where maybe adversity's I think adversity's good don't you I mean I think it helps mm-hmm. yeah I mean I talk about it all the time with the high with my high school kids that I coach at my high school during the off season and while I'm home down here I, I try to help out as much as I possibly can and I tell them all the time I'm like guys and I went to a, a really well-known high school down here and we have a very good athletic program. Um, and so we get special talent, very specially talented kids, but at the same time, I want to challenge them in reverse of their talent. Like I want to challenge them mentally because they have the talent of physical talent to respond right away, but they don't have the mental capability of responding if that makes any sense. Sure. And I think that's what separates a lot of kids from tier one, tier two is having that mental. And, and I think especially kids nowadays, it's, they think that everything's just going to be like handed to them on like a silver platter. And, and I don't know how it transpired to become that way. Um, but in terms of baseball, I, I, I feel like if I ever had to go back and relive my career and the path that I went down, um, yeah, sure. Would it be nice to sign for $1.5 million and have that in the bank account while I'm going through the minor leagues and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. But I don't know if I would choose any other way of doing it because yeah. I don't know. I don't know any, I don't know any other way. And it's yeah. tough because being in a situation where I was in, and having to do all the right things and having to do, you know, and having that not only the second eye on you, but the third and the fourth and the fifth evaluator and scout and front office person, farm director, whoever it might've been looking at you and making sure that and watching pretty much every move that you're making. I, I don't know if I would ever want to be on the other side of things, especially as a young kid. I mean, you see all these kids that are coming out of the draft at 17, 18 years old, that have never lived away from home and all of a sudden 
they signed for two, $2 million and they have all of this, you know, pressure. And, and is it pressure? I don't know. I mean, anybody can label it anything, but they have this staple to them that is, oh, he's got to make it to the big leagues in two years. Like he has to make it to the big leagues in three years. Or he, like, all the comparables are to Chris Sale. So he's got to be just as good as Chris Sale. But, I mean, let's be honest. How many guys are going to be as good as Chris Sale? There's only one Chris Sale. Like, yeah. you, you, you can't duplicate. You can't replicate. It doesn't matter um, how you want to go about doing it or thinking about it. So I think there's – it's a two-part thing. I think kids and players think things are going to be handed to them. Um, in terms of just because of their draft status or the prospect or this or that. But at the same time, I think the evaluators and organizations put a lot of pressure on these kids to not so, not, not so much rush them because you, you hear all that being talked about is, Oh, we don't want to rush this guy. We don't want to do this. We don't, but at the same time, you kind of do because then all of a sudden you don't want to be five or six years down the road and he's in double A or, you know, triple A for the third, third straight year. Yeah. So uh, there's a catch 22 with it all. And that's why there's a lot of people that get paid a lot more money than I, (laughs) uh, to, to, to figure all that out. But, um, but it's, it certainly is a, you bring up a good point in terms of, you know, like Devers is a perfect example and he's still learning and he's still getting better and he's still developing and he's doing it at such a high level. And you saw that a couple of years ago in the playoffs and in the world series and seeing what this kid was able to do at such a young age and, and still learning, you know, two years now removed from, yeah, two years now removed from the world series. I mean, he's still learning and he's still getting better and there's still room for an improvement and there's, but, but that goes with everyone. I mean, it's, it's sure. a game of baseball. It's athletic, you know, if you're professional sports, you're going to, if you, if you're not, if you don't have any room for an, for any room for improvement or trying to get yourself better, then why are you still doing it? Yeah. To me, it's the hardest sport. It's the most unpredictable. I think the NFL might be more predictable. The, the, the great players are usually great every year. I think it's just a different game, but baseball the best hitter can, I mean, JD Martinez had a tough year. It's, mm-hmm. but you can't say that because in a, you know, in the sports media, if you say it's hard, that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't get phone calls on the talk shows, but it is. I've, yeah, exactly. I watched it. I mean, it's, it's brutal, man. I don't know how you guys do it. It really is a hard freaking sport. I mean, mentally, yeah. physically, the and, grind, you know? And, yeah. And, and I think that's why a lot of people, and that's why you've seen a lot of the older people of baseball kind of getting themselves slowly removed from the game is because now the new thing is all the saver metrics, the computers, the computers yeah. tell us to do this, computers tell us to do that, which is all great. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in all the computers, but at the same time, no matter if you're giving us what the computer is saying, we still have to translate, to the, translate that to the players somehow, some way. So you still have to have the coaching aspect of the game. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have all the information coming from a computer or whatever formula is spitting up at you. We still have to adapt as coaches 
in terms of how are we giving this information to our players. It's not just the kid, the, the, the players and guys can't just read it off the computer screen and be like, oh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. No, like it has to be relayed. It has to be coached in a certain manner for it to work. And I think that's where you're seeing some difficulty of, of it all um, in terms of how do we go about doing that? How do we find the right people? How do we teach the people, the analytical people, to relay that stuff to our coaches so that our coaches can give it to our players? But that's just – it's all part of the game. And like you said, I mean, I think that's why it's one of the hardest sports, yeah. if not the hardest sport in, in the world to play and, and be that good. And you think about it, if you're, you're three out of 10, you're hitting 300, you're a hall of Famer. Yeah. There's not many things. If you throw 10 passes and you complete three, I guarantee you one thing, you're not, you're not throwing those 10 passes on Sundays. No, but you know, it's a, a, a raw deal for your position. You could, you could be scoreless in eight of 10 outings and have an ERA of five still. That's with relievers, yeah. get a, they get a bad deal. I always would look at scoreless appearances because if he's scoreless in 80%, that's a better barometer than ERA because ERA is saying runs per game. But yep. yeah, but you have one bad, yeah, that one bad I mean, outing. I think, there was, yeah. I think in, in 17, when I had the really good year, I mean, I still, I mean, I think I finished up with like a three, eight or whatever it was in yeah. 17. And, and if you really go back and break down that year, I was actually talking with Laz Gutierrez about it. Um, Cause he's now uh, our mental skills coach in Boston, who is now uh, a D2, actually the, the college, the university that JD went to. Yeah. Uh, he's now the head coach. He's now the head coach there. And I was at lunch with him a couple, a few weeks ago. And we were talking, and we were talking about that season. He's like, man, like you really go back and look at your numbers through that season. He's like, I think there was only like four or five games that you actually gave up runs. But when you gave up runs, you gave up like a six spot. And I was like, I think you're right. Like, uh, I mean, when I did give up those runs, I think it was, you know, three or four runs, which – and he's like, because I don't really remember you having a three – and I was like, I don't think I did. Like, I think I was in like the ones and twos for the majority of the year. But like you said, that's the ups and downs of being a reliever and a guy in the position that I was in. Yeah. Was that you don't really have much wiggle room to have too many bad nights you, <laughs> and, and expect to stay there. And you're also part of the, the great, well, they say the greatest Red Sox team ever, the 18 team. I mean, that's, you had a mm -hmm. little bit of time there. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, shoot I and mean, i got a i got a ring out of it and, nice you know it's you know it's in in the room and it'll always be displayed and that kind of stuff so yeah i mean it's one of those situations it was uh you know crazy 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 year i mean the yep. 100 what was 100 108 wins in a regular season yeah or and i mean it's <laughs> that's crazy do you think a lot of those guys that were in Portland, though, that when they get to the big leagues from that 14 team, it kind of – they had that winning mentality? Does that carry over? Or is the big league such a separator that it's hard to carry a minor league – anything minor leagues to the big leagues? No, I mean, I, I don't think there's a separator because uh, if, if there was a separator, then I don't think the minor leagues would be valued as much as they are. 
Sure. Um, and that's why for me to bring up a, a, a completely different subject of cutting back minor league teams and cutting out leagues and this, that, and the other, I just don't think it's right. I, I think there's, it's been set up this way for so long that why are we trying to reinvent the color wheel? I mean, that there's steps in a certain progression and development of a kid's career that obviously has worked for so long. What are we trying to do? Um, so do I think there's a separator in between the two? No, because I think that's where, you know, these guys develop their routines and, and they become accustomed to their routine that works for them. You know, it's not, just a, a set thing that the org- the whole entire organization does. I mean, these kids, once you get to the double and triple A level, I mean, you're, you're now getting yourself ready for the big leagues. And I need to figure out what I'm going to be able to do on a daily basis to get my body in position to be productive on a daily basis. If you're a position player or pitcher or whatever, however it might be, if you're a starting pitcher, it's completely different than if you're a reliever. Um, so, to answer your question, no, I, I think there's certain, there's a lot of things that you can learn at the minor league level that um, will help you and bring with you to the big league level. Um, certain, like I talked about with in, in the minor leagues of 2014 in Portland, of learning how to win the right way yeah. and learning how to deal with losses the right way. And there's a fine line of how to do it. And you learn that at the minor leagues because you don't, I mean, yeah, in college, you, you do learn a lot about that depending on where you went to school and all that kind of stuff. You do learn that there is something to play for at the end of the season, but in the high school level and, and travel ball, I mean, you're just kind of really showing up to the field and, and going to play and <clears throat> not really caring about what the outcome is. And like you talked about, I mean, there was times where you got on the bus after we had won 12 straight and, we lost one game and you felt like we had lost 12 straight. Yeah. And it comes a time where you know what's at stake and you know what, you know, you know, you know how to react to it. Well, I think you're in a good spot. You're a dad. You have a great wife who's a, who's a huge Instagrammer. I, I see her account. <laughs> you're living yeah, with she's, a, uh, she's a celebrity. Doing, yeah. She's, she's a bigger celebrity than I am. She's got more <laughs> followers than I do. So crazy, huh? So it is crazy. I hope that you're pitching again, you know, and I appreciate your friendship and, and, and you doing this too. You're a good guy. So it's been great to get Absolutely, to know you too. Mike, yeah. And, yeah. And it's been a, uh, it's been a crazy year, but like I said, you know, it, everything happens for a reason and I, I wouldn't take anything away from it because, you know, being there and seeing my first, you know, firstborn child being born. Uh, I mean, that's a, once in a lifetime experience. And if there was any, if we were in, in any other circumstances, they probably wouldn't have been there. So everything happens for a reason. And, um, you know, I'm so very grateful for that. And like you said, I, I'm extremely grateful for being able to meet you and, and our, our career paths crossed the way that they did and yeah. being able to get to know you when I did. And, and now you being a triple, I know that's one, one of the biggest, a job that you've wanted for a few years now. And I know I'm super excited for you. Hopefully, hopefully next year you guys are actually calling games, not yeah. Sim City hashtag and Sim City yeah. games. Um, so and and don't for don't 
don't think for a second I, didn't, I wasn't listening to any of your games when you guys were calling those inter-squad games because I, I, do en- I, I do enjoy watching it and hearing your voice from calling, calling games. So Thanks, bud. I, I appreciate Robbie and I later talked after we would like to possibly host a talk show at some point, and we think at a point down the road, we're going to try to bring you a Facebook Live conversation. But I, I just – Robbie's a great story, and he worked his butt off to get to the big leagues, and whatever he does next, he's going to do well. As, and, I, and I know it. I just I have the confidence in him. And tucked down in Miami. Man, is he lucky. Beautiful area. And uh, a big Dolphins fan as well. All right, behind the mic, make sure to tweet me. If you can find me, it's pretty easy. At behind the underscore Mike, behind the mics 1973 on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think I'm on Pinterest as well. I'm on it all. But make sure to like, subscribe, share this. uh, Send me some comments too. At the Radio Mike is Twitter, email, antonellis.michael at gmail.com. And as always, you know this. Peace and love.